Welcome to the Traveling On Radio Show, your premier source for travel news and information, featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, the Traveling On Radio Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Traveling On Radio Show, the show that celebrates responsible travel, culture, and heritage. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're coming to you from our studio right outside of our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Today's broadcast marks our transition to a new name, World Footprint, and starting with next week, we're excited that you're going to join us on this purposeful journey. As Tanya mentioned, next week you will be tuning into our new show, World Footprint, and to kick off a smooth transition, we are offering a fantastic show today. First, we will welcome back our old friend, author Don Mankin. You may recall meeting Don when he showcased his book, Riding the Hula Hula to the Arctic. Don will join us today to talk about his newest project that discusses how adventure travel can transform your life, work relationships, and organization. And he will also offer an invitation for you to participate in the development of his new book. Then you'll have an opportunity to meet celebrated interior designer Sandra Espinay, Sandra has been featured on the HGTV show Celebrity Holiday Homes, where influence of her international travels have been showcased. Finally, have you ever wondered where a newly crowned Miss America goes or what she does? Amy Feller is a former travel manager for the Miss America Corporation, and she'll join us to talk about the lessons learned from the road as she traveled with two Miss Americas. Although our domain will be changing soon, you can still email your comments and questions at comments at TravelNRadio.com. Well, as we mentioned, next week, Traveling On will be moving on to our new name, World Footprints. We're very excited about this change, and we think you'll really enjoy the spectacular program that we have planned. As we've mentioned before, our change to World Footprints will represent what our values have been all along a celebration of responsible travel, culture, and heritage. To us, and many we've shared this great news with, World Footprints better communicates our values of sustainability, global citizenship, travel philanthropy, and volunteerism. And we're excited that you'll be joining us on our journey to leave positive footprints and build positive legacies one step at a time. So tune in next week and join us on our celebration of responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Don Mankin is a travel writer, business author, psychologist, organizational consultant, and executive coach. His latest book, Riding the Hula Hula to the Arctic Ocean, a guide to 50 extraordinary adventures for the seasoned traveler, was described by the Wall Street Journal as one of the year's best travel books when published in 2008. Don is currently writing a book on how adventure travel can transform our lives, work relationships, and organizations, and he joins us to talk about this new project. Don, welcome back. Well, thank you. You received high praise for Hula Hula to the Arctic Ocean from the Wall Street Journal. How do you go about topping that? Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> or the Traveling or, On Radio or Show. Or maybe your show. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've authored five books thus far, and yet all but one, Hula Hula, has focused on organizational psychology. Your newest book, I understand, will combine travel with psychology. Talk to us about that. Well, um, I'm a psychologist by, uh, by training, and uh, for uh, most of my professional life, I've uh, practiced as, a, as an organizational psychologist, helping businesses uh, improve their work. Uh, and uh, so I've never really left that behind. I've always been interested in, in that issue. So uh, as I was doing uh, the travel writing and, and doing trips uh, myself, uh, I would notice uh, that uh, uh, certain trips would have a particular uh, strong impact on me. Uh, and I felt like I was changed in some ways by some of the trips and some of the experiences I've had. And also talking to other people, I found uh, similar kinds of uh, stories. So I was wondering if maybe this kind of uh, transformative experience could also be uh, adapted for the uh, the business world. And uh, maybe it could be a, uh, incorporated into a leadership development program or into executive coaching or even into a uh, process for organizational change. So this is sort of what I'm thinking about 
you know, at the present time. And I'm doing the interviews now, uh, talking to people about their trips, but uh, in the back of my mind, thinking about how this might apply to uh, not just how we travel, but how we work and how we go about our everyday lives. Mm. And, and I'm glad you're doing this, Don. I mean, our audience knows and they've heard us talk about transformative experiences and how travel really is a transformative experience. And, and you know, I can say for myself, every trip I take, every place I go and visit in its own way is transformative. And so um, what you're doing really has been is validating what we've been talking about and espousing on our show and, and in terms of the, the importance of travel and, 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 and one's self-development through yes. travel. Well, you know, I'm, I think it first became clearer to me because I, I started traveling because I enjoyed traveling, and uh, I wanted to see places, and I wanted to have certain kinds of experiences. But uh, what I would notice, you know, on these uh, trips and, and over the course of several trips is that I felt like uh, I was changing in the process. In fact, uh, probably um, one of the most uh, profound ways in which I was uh, transformed by my travel is to uh, uh, is to change careers or to uh, mm-hmm. at least modify my career and move from 35 years as an academic Academic and uh, as an organizational psychologist to uh, being a travel writer. Uh, so that was a huge transformation for me. And now I'm looking at how I can sort of integrate my past life with my with my current life and see if there's a way to sort of merge these uh, these two interests of mine. So and I think that without doing the travel and doing some pretty interesting, adventuresome travel, going to places where I was challenged physically or psychologically or both, I am not sure I would have had that kind of, uh, of career path. Now, Don, one of the one of the the things that I think is so interesting about about uh, your life and your journey, uh, uh, psych- psychology and and travel, is that your focus in your professional uh, career on organizations and transformations there. And we talk about transformational travel. Do you think that there are some lessons from? from the travel world that would apply to transforming organizations like companies and even government as we think about some of the challenges some of our large institutions have faced, particularly on the ethical front and just trying to do the right thing in a very tough economy? Well, actually, um, uh, one of the interesting parallels that I'm seeing is, uh, you know, when we travel, we experience different cultures. And the more immersed we are in that culture uh, that we're visiting, the greater appreciation we get uh, for those cultures and the more empathetic we become. And I think that our own cross-cultural communication skills uh, are enhanced. And there's a comparable issue within organizations and even across organizations. You know, more and more uh, work uh, in organizations involves collaboration and mm-hmm. frequently collaboration among different organizations or among different functions within the same organization. Like, for example, engineering people working with marketing people. And they are very much different cultures, you know, almost as much as, you know, Western, you know, versus Asian culture. And so I think that there is something to be learned about how travel uh, opens us up. Up and increases our empathy and and um, an appreciation for other cultures, and I think that we can transfer that kind of, uh, of of experience, or at least we can replicate that kind of experience by thinking about how experience with uh, other cultures within an organization can enhance the the, the uh, our ability to collaborate with those cultures. So I could actually, and in fact, most most organizations already do this. Uh, have people move through, especially management, have people move through different uh, business units, you know, over the course mm-hmm. of a training program for maybe a couple of years to, to develop their, their cross-functional uh, collaboration and communication skills. So uh, that's just one, I think, of the many ways that we could uh, extrapolate from the travel experience to the organizational experience. Don, I want to circle back to uh, something that you mentioned earlier about your own experience and um, th- this epiphany you had on one of your trips that really led you to modify your vocation or change your vocation and, and, and really where were you and 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 what was that experience like for you? What was your thought process? I think one of the most dramatic, I, the one I think that probably had the greatest impact in my life was a, uh, a trip on the Inca Trail with my, at the time, girlfriend. Uh, and uh, it was a particularly arduous trip. Uh, uh, we were oh, at least 20 to 30 years older than everybody else on the trip. Uh, my uh, my girlfriend had just uh, taken the bar the day before we left on the trip, I think it was when she finished the, uh, taking the bar. So she had spent uh, several months before that trip uh, uh, studying, you know, rather than uh, been working out and training. So the trip was a pretty 
difficult trip. And um, and I, 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 towards the end of that trip, uh, as we're sort of wandering through the ruins at Machu Picchu, which is a very magical place to begin with, and, and we were there uh, uh, after most of the uh, other tourists had left, so we pretty much had the place to ourselves. Uh, it really just sort of hit me. Uh, you know, what I learned about my girlfriend and about uh, the experience that we had shared. And it just, uh, and I started thinking about, uh, you know, the possibility that we may, you know, separate at some point. And it became clear to me that uh, that's not uh, something that I, would, I wanted to, to happen. And so I proposed. <laughs> ah. uh, pretty much on the spot. And, and you know, it was not, it was absolutely nothing that I had planned. And it was a very spontaneous uh, kind of experience. It was just that, uh, you know, everything coming together. And, uh, and that's what uh, led me to uh, make that very life-changing, uh, uh, you know, decision. And, uh, you know, we've been together ever since then and traveled together a lot of, uh, for most of my trip. Usually the ones that do not involve getting uh, cold and wet. She doesn't like that. But, uh, <laughs> she, she pretty much comes with me on most of the other trips that, uh, that I take. So uh, it, it was really a, a life-changing experience. And, you know, who knows? I mean, I, we probably would have reached that same point uh, eventually. Um, but I think that uh, that trip helped to uh, solidify, you know, feelings that had been uh, developing me, in, in me for, for quite a while. So uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, it surely happened sooner. Now, uh, is she, just out of curiosity, you know, Ian and I have left the practice of law to do this. We're, we're recovering attorneys. Is your wife still practicing or is she? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she's, uh, <laughs> uh, as you know, uh, uh, being in the travel business, it helps to have uh, one of your, you know, somebody with a real job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so she uh, she works as a uh, as a government lawyer, which is good because uh, there's a certain degree of security. Uh, mm-hmm. She doesn't have the uh, the pressure for billable hours. I mean, it's a pretty high pressure job, but it's a little bit different than, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Uh, always trying to get billable hours, you know, in, in a private private firm. Mm-hmm. And she also gets more time off than um, I think the most private the most lawyers in private law firms get. So it does enable us to travel together a lot. Well, bless her. My my heart goes out to her. <laughs> now, yeah, but at this moment, she's now at work. So, oh, but we are planning our next trip, and in the ne- in uh, about ten weeks, we are going off to uh, Venezuela together to climb Mount Roryama. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's the inspiration for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World. Mm. So, yes. uh, you know, this is going to be our next adventure. I, I just want to circle back to uh, to some of the research that you're doing. Who are the people that uh, you have been researching for or interviewing for this book? And do you have or did you enter this project with set expectations? Uh, well, let me answer the first question. Actually, um, I want to interview you and Ian. Oh, <laughs> so, we'd be happy so to. So now that you mention it, uh, <laughs> yes, you, you are on my list of people to contact to, uh, uh, to interview. It is, um, a part of it is through, um, I have a co-author uh, for this book, uh, Shannon Stoll, who's the mm-hmm. uh, uh, the president of the Adventure Travel Trade Association, and, and, and in his position, he is very well connected to travel professionals uh, such as yourselves and tour operators and tourism boards, you know, around the world. And so he has been the primary contact through the industry to help identify people uh, who've had these experiences. Uh, we've been asking tour operators to uh, connect us with uh, their clients who. They think have had particularly uh, uh, interesting and transformative experiences, uh, so that's been a major source for people that we are interviewing. Uh, but uh, you know, I I talk to people, uh, and you know, so I'll tell someone the project that I'm working on. They say, "Oh, I had that kind of experience," or I know of someone who had an experience that I think you would enjoy uh, talking to. And so a lot of it is through personal referrals or referrals through you know people that I. I come in contact with, so it's been you know pretty much all over the place. But I think the probably the majority of the people we've been interviewing have been through the travel industry. Even though the people that we are interviewing are not necessarily uh, working in the travel industry, they may be clients you know within the industry. Now, Don, in our closing minutes, I I know that as part of this book, you're working on an adventure paradigm where through this book, folks can perhaps have that vicarious adventure experience without leaving home. What are you hoping to accomplish with that paradigm, and how are you going to kind of help transform some of the mundane lives that folks are leading out here with that? Well, um, you know, my, my, my ultimate ambition with this is that uh, what we will come up will say more than just uh, about how we should travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, we'll be able to say something about how people can actually live their lives and the kinds of 
experiences they seek out, not just in their travel experiences, but also uh, the kind of work they do, the relationships they have, you know, how they live their day-to-day lives. And I'll just give you a little bit of a of a hint or a preview. And you know, we're right in the middle of this, so I don't really have a lot to say at this point yet. I have to wait till we finish all of our interviews, and we're going to be analyzing the interviews. And you know, so this is going to be a process that's going to probably take another year or so. But mm-hmm. you know, what's very clear is that as the concept of being out of your comfort zone, and, and this is really uh, uh, what's essential to, tra- to adventure travel, and I think this is what distinguishes adventure travel from going to a resort or going on a cruise ship. You know, it's the unexpected, it's the things that you don't have control over. It's being physically or psychologically challenged so that you are at least slightly uh, unnerved by the experience, and maybe some, in some cases maybe even a little bit more than slightly. And when you, um, and as a psychologist, we understand that when you, when people step outside of their comfort zone, uh, things can happen, and people learn things about themselves, or the unexpected happens, and it's from the unexpected that we uh, learn something about ourselves, about the world, about, you know, people that we're with. So I think um, uh, that can be a paradigm for, for living our lives, you know, for, trying to step outside of our comfort zones. And, and how do you do that? And how do you do that without uh, uh, throwing, uh, you know, without uh, taking on too much risk, you know, so that mm-hmm. the, the idea of managing the risk, because if you get too far out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, you can, get, uh, you can get seriously injured, you could die, you can get, uh, you know, very, very scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's trying to understand uh, how to, how to uh, move out of our comfort zone and how to manage that move in a way that isn't so overwhelming uh, that we don't learn anything from it, that we, we retreat from the experience completely. So that's what I'm hoping that we'll be able to come up with. And, of course, once you, once you do that, once you learn how to do that, you can apply this you know, in every aspect of your life. And I think uh, uh, relationships is very important. You know, uh, um, I think the, the best relationships are the ones that push us a little bit, you know, outside of what we're most comfortable with. Um, I think our work, uh, the work that's most interesting is the work that is more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think in our travel, uh, obviously the same thing. So this is what we're hoping that we can come up with. Well, we're, we're looking forward to that, Don. And before we go, I wanted to ask you if there is a website for any of our listeners who are hearing, this, hearing your story and um, may be interested in offering their story uh, as, a, as a contributor. Is there a website they can go to or uh, uh, to contact you or Shannon? Yeah, yeah actually, uh, my website, uh, it's uh, www.adventuretransformations, all one word, um, Dot com, and uh, there is a uh, a contact. Um, there is a a, a, a page uh, where people can contact me, and if they uh, do have a story uh, that they would be willing to share, the interviews uh, that I conduct are about uh, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes, um, and um, I, I protect people's confidentiality if that's what they're concerned about, and uh, we, you know, we will. Uh, you know, make whatever arrangements are necessary in order for people to feel comfortable uh, talking about the experiences they've, they've had. So uh, if anybody's interested, uh, go to my website and just uh, send me an email through the website, and I'll be back in touch with them probably within a couple of days. Good deal. Well, Don Mankin joins us. Uh, he's a travel writer, business author, psychologist, organizational consultant, and executive coach, and he's writing a new book about transformational travel and and the application in uh, the business world. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. When we come back, we'll be speaking to celebrated interior designer Sandra Espinay. Sandra's homes have been described as an exquisite cultural immersion experience, and she'll join us to talk about the influence her international travels have had upon her designs. You're listening to the Traveling On radio show, soon to be World Footprints. We'll see you on the other side of this break. Officials are concerned about a new flu virus of swine origin spreading from person to person. To help fight swine flu, cover your nose and mouth with a tissue when you cough or sneeze, then throw the tissue away. Wash your hands often with soap and water, especially after coughing or sneezing. Stay home if you're sick and limit contact with others to keep from infecting them. 
To learn more, visit www.cdc.gov slash swine flu or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from HHS. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. Offside, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl, provided as a public service by the station at Team Coalition. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? Would you feel scared or proud? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Would you rather make your own way or spend a lifetime saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov. What if you didn't care about being on the fast track instead of flying to the big interview? What if you flew somewhere else altogether, like a village in Botswana or a tiny island in the Pacific? where needs are easy to see. What if you decided to share your skills with others and help someone else get ahead? Peace Corps, life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another. Volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council. This is the Traveling On Radio Show, bringing you a world of travel news and information. Once again, let's join your hosts, Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Sandra Espinay is a celebrated interior designer, businesswoman, and humanitarian. Many have remarked that stepping into a home designed by Sandra Espinay is extraordinary, imaginative, and unique. I would also add that a Sandra Espinay designed interior is a cultural experience. She draws inspiration from her extensive travels to South America, Northern Africa, Europe, and Asia, as well as her experiences living in several countries throughout the world. She appears regularly on Living Today with Mario Basquez, and she appeared on HGTV's Celebrity Holiday Homes in 2009. Sandra is often heard on Martha Stewart Living Radio, and she joins us today to talk about her travels, influences, and her work with the Cambodian Children's Fund. Sandra Espinay, welcome to Traveling On. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Oh, We're happy to have you. It's truly our pleasure. You know, your background when I when I was uh, going through this, it, it's so exciting to me and it resonates with me as as, uh, as someone who's also lived abroad and, and has found any excuse in the book to travel even vis-a-vis student visas. Um, you've had some really rich multicultural experiences. Tell us about some of your early travels and how those experiences have led to your vocation as really a celebrated interior designer. Well, thank you. Um, it did start at a young age. I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, and my parents, on my mom's side, English heritage, and on my dad's side, French Creole. And we started traveling uh, because my dad was in the petroleum industry, so every two or three years, we would move to a new country when his contracts would expire. So we lived everywhere from Canada, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, um, and I moved to the States, back to the States, when I was 16. And I've continued as an adult, moving around and traveling for work and for pleasure. You've traveled around the world, and you continue to do so, seeking home decorations and textiles for your home gallery, as well as your clients. And, uh, and even, uh, as, we just, as you just shared with us a few moments ago, um, an Olympic torch for one of your clients who collects that. <laughs> Correct. Um, I, I jokingly always say that the world is my shopping mall, and I, I really enjoy <laughs> traveling to shop and find unique, one-of-a-kind, handmade, artisan 
accessories, furnishings, textiles, um, anything that I could use in a project that would make it special. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that every country offers its own style and different types of uh, handmade indigenous products. Um, is there a particular country that has had the greatest influence on your style uh, throughout the years? Um, I don't think so. I think almost every country, very few countries, have nothing to offer. Most countries have um, a background and a history, and um, and the products that they produce are um, because of the people that live there and, and the terrain, what they have to offer. So we can take an example of Indonesia. They, they have a lot of teak. They are forests, so the people carve, and they make beautiful hand-carved wooden teak pieces, and that is what that country has to offer the most. You mentioned Indonesia uh, having these great teak products, but you've also got some other countries too that you visited, such as Mexico that uh, and Vietnam that also have some have some great uh, indigenous products. Talk to us about uh, about some of those other places as well. Sure, Mexico. One of my favorite things about Mexico is the handmade, hand-painted Talavera. It's a ceramic that I'm sure you guys have seen. It's very colorful and intricate, mm-hmm. and it comes from the Moorish. Well, the Moorish invaded Spain. Spain invaded Mexico, and all along, this art has been passed on. So now it is indigenous of Mexico, and you can design your own pieces, or you can um, just purchase the already made traditional red, blue, and yellows that they manufacture there. So it's really fun to go shopping for Talavera in Mexico. How about Vietnam? Vietnam was an amazing country to visit because I went there with the preconceived notion that it was going to be communist. And I found it quite the opposite. The people are very industrious, very eager to work and to sell. And one of the funnest things that they make there is lacquerware. They um, they make boxes and dishes and anything that you can imagine made out of lacquer. And they've updated their products. So some of them are traditional, but they've also updated it with a modern twist. And you'll find beautiful, um, uh, like gold, silver, col- any color you want. And again, and again, you can design and give some of these factories your own design, and they'll make it out of lacquerware. Talk to us about Morocco. I've been to Morocco twice, and I love the country. Um, the people are very creative. And one of the main things that I purchase when I go there are large decorative ceramic pots. The Berber tribes in the south each have different designs. And so, and they're all unique, handmade, and I love collecting those and using those in my jobs. And how about Bhutan? And Bhutan is one of my favorite countries. I love what the king of Bhutan has done with his space. Uh, Bhutan is surrounded, it's a landlocked country, by India, China, and Nepal, which are all overpopulated, dirty countries. Yet he has managed to keep Bhutan very clean, pristine, and natural. And the people um, still hand-make textiles the old way. And I had a blast collecting and purchasing beautiful textiles that I have used for throws and pillows in most of my clients' homes. Very, very beautiful country. I I suggest it to anybody. With uh, all of your travels and your background and this focus on the aesthetic, what insights have you gotten from your travels and just this work about, about, about the aesthetic as a notion in different cultures? Um, I do go in and I'm looking for special, one-of-a-kind, and aesthetically I am looking for unique. But when I go to a new country that I've never visited, it's also a social experience because I'm kind of studying the people and the culture based on what they sell and, and um, how, they're, how they operate. So for me, I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, you go to the Middle East and they, they negotiate different, and you'll go to Asia and they, they negotiate different. And, and so you learn about the people and their cultures when you're shopping. And you also um, can see what their products are. And so I, I think it's a very social experience also. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of, of social, one of our, our listening audience knows that, that, you know, the value of our show and, and the things that we espouse are socially responsible travel um, it, with an eye towards um, the environment and fair trade principles and global citizenship. Um, 
in volunteerism and just a, a slew of 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 things that um, allow us and and encourage us to give give back. And as people travel and as as you've traveled uh, collecting items for for clients, what advice would you have to the traveler, the the collector of goods, um, to ensure that their purchases, uh, they're operating on a conscious level of making ethical and responsible purchases and um, and purchases that are, that honor fair trade principles for some of these indigenous in, cultures. In my case, because I'm looking for the unique and the handmade and the one-of-a-kind, I am dealing directly with artisans and with local people who may not have another market. Uh, so unlike a large department store that's going to a factory and buying container loads, um, I am dealing directly with uh, people who, who actually um, have special things and that need interaction with foreigners. So I think um, it, it is opening up the world to becoming one large mall um, instead of going to a large department store and buying a mass-produced American um, design item from that country. Mm-hmm. Um, but some countries don't have anything to offer, and I think that's the case with Cambodia. Um, the first time I went there, the first thing I did was go to the market, and I'm searching and I'm seeking. There was nothing. Cambodia is such a poor country that every product, every um, fabric that they had was made in China, was imported from China, and their wood was not really that good. And it's it's um, it's a country that's lacking, and you can see why it's the fifth poorest country in the world just based from their market, what they have to sell. Your experience in Cambodia led you to work with the Cambodian Children's Fund. Talk to us about uh, what led you there and what you're doing. A friend of mine um, was the worldwide marketing director for 20th Century Fox, and he went to Cambodia on holiday and saw the poverty, and he gave up his job, sold his home, cars, everything, and moved there and opened an orphanage. So I had to go and visit because I couldn't believe he had done this, and when I got there and experienced and saw what was there, I was immediately roped into his organization. It's called the Cambodian Children's Fund, and the main um, body of work for the organization is to go to the city dump, which is one of the largest in Southeast Asia. There is a village on top of the dump. And we rescue homeless children and bring them to the orphanage, and they are, we take care of them medically, food, and we put them into school. And we try and keep them as long as they want to stay there, which most kids don't leave at all. And we are teaching them vocations and hoping that they will not go back to the dump. So our, our goal is to end the cycle of the dump and have them be part of society, working part of society. And I understand you also teach art classes to to some of the young students living there. Yes, yes. When I go there, um, my interaction with the uh, with the girls mainly is um, art classes. They're all very creative, so it's really fun to whip out watercolors and paint with them. And, and you get great stories when you let kids paint because they paint about their own experiences. So we we have watercolors of kids walking out of the dump, or they paint the school with big flowers around it, and it's really, really fun to work with kids. It's it's interesting that you bring that up. Art's very close to my heart. My late father taught art. My uncle also taught art. And it's, it's interesting that even in an impoverished country like Cambodia, the children uh, find a way to you know tap into that creative side and explore things that in some ways help take them out of their own condition and kind of reveal their own humanity for us to see. Yeah, and and something um, like moving to a school out of the dump, they they're they're so happy and they're so thankful that these kids are just full of laughter and the drawings from the kids that just move in versus the kids that have been there are so different and you can see their progress through their art. Mm. Now I'm, I'm curious with the Cambodian uh, Children's Fund, is there uh, any involvement in the adoption process perhaps uh, working with uh, another organization to assist um, uh, adoption efforts for, for these orphan children? The laws have changed in Cambodia, and uh, there's uh, an embargo with the U.S., and Cambodian children can no longer be adopted by Americans. Mm. So that's one of the issues right now is that the kids um, cannot be adopted. And the other issue is that most of the kids that we pull out of the dump are nine and up. We um, do not have the staff to take care of babies. That's a whole other 
um, ball of wax. So, and, and there aren't really that many babies by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are kids that might their parents might have died or that their mothers might have been prostitutes and they're left alone in the dump. And they're usually 9, 10, 11 by the time we get them in our school. So most people don't want to adopt a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is why we teach them English and we're trying to get them integrated back into society with a vocation. So we have um, a bakery school. There is an iron um, a iron workshop. The girls learn to sew. And just the fact that they can speak English opens up because they can be translators. It's, it opens up a whole world for them to be able to communicate with foreigners and, and hopefully get a job maybe in a hotel um, doing anything that's where they speak English. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, for me as a child growing up, I grew up very modestly, and I traveled vicariously through the arts, uh, through theater, through through books, and um, and it's led me to, uh, to, to where we are today. Um, and so I think what you're doing is very, very valuable in, in terms of their self-development. Uh, um, and I applaud you for that. We started a, uh, a program uh, segment, a new segment on our show called Travel Angels, and I, I'm going to volunteer you as a travel angel. For oh, you thank doing. you. <laughs> but, you know, it's really funny because uh, life gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. And I wasn't looking for this. This kind of fell into my lap. But as soon as I went to the school, I realized that this is definitely something I need to get involved with. So it's, um, and, and I think anybody who went there and saw it, would understand it and would want to help. So I'm just thankful that I had that opportunity to go and see it. Oh, what a blessing. What a what a blessing for everybody. Um, real quickly before we go, I wanted to, to give you a chance to tell us about some of your new projects, uh, things that you have going on. I know you have a, a gallery um, in, uh, in Mexico. I do. I have an art gallery. I have a furniture store and an interior design firm. And the design firm is the is really where my passion is. I, I love interior design. And we have a lot of fun projects coming up. I have a new job starting in Argentina soon, so I'm going to be going to Buenos Aires for the first time in about two months to go and start that job. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have a lot of really fun things on the plate right now. Any more HGTV shows in the in the future? I will find out very soon. I'm also on my way to New York to speak to them, so as soon as I get some updates, I will let you know. And uh, over the summer, we have a trip to Southern Africa, which I've never done. So that's also um, going to be a really fun trip for this year. I've done Northern Africa, but never South Africa. Oh, uh, well, we hope to see you there. We're, we're planning to, to be there to cover the World Cup. You, I knew you were a woman after my own heart when you described <laughs> yourself as a flip-flop traveler. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I'm very casual when I travel. Um, I wouldn't consider myself a backpacker, but I also um, I, I think it's very important if you're going to meet local people, not to come across as a stuck-up, you know, mm-hmm. American full of dollars. So I, I don't like to give out that impression, and I like to be more casual when you approach people so that, that they feel comfortable, too. Yeah. When yeah. you're traveling to third-world countries, I think that's important. Absolutely. Or traveling anywhere. I think um, I think sometimes the uh, Americans have uh, are, are misperceived when we're traveling abroad, and, and sometimes it's rightfully so. Um, well, Sandra Espinay, thank you so much for joining us today on the it's been my on pleasure. show. When we come back, we'll be joined by Amy Feller, the former travel manager for the Miss America Corporation. You're listening to the Traveling On Radio Show. We will see you on the other side of this break. Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross. Ron Garrett is on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack. Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life. When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. 
A message from the US EPA. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Carter Fleming, Community Center Volunteer. The giving spirit is as passionate in the boomers today as it was in our 20s, and we as a generation can still impact our country. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service Administration. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I live in the South. California is my home. I speak fluent Spanish. No hablo espanol. I have brown eyes. My eyes are blue. We're very different people, but we do have something in common. I made a donation to the Red Cross. When disaster struck and I needed help, her gift to the American Red Cross changed my life. When you support the American Red Cross, you change a life, starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org and find out about life-changing opportunities in your area. Now, more of the Traveling On Radio Show. Many of us tune in each year to watch the Miss America pageant, and I don't know about you, but I've always wondered what happens after the lights go down and the confetti is swept away. Where does the newly crowned beauty queen go, and what does she do? Well, our next guest, Amy Feller, was the travel manager for the Miss American organization, and she's going to give us some really interesting insights into managing a celebrity tour. Amy has chronicled some of her experiences through a fictional character in her new book, Boardwalk in Despair, The Splintering of Miss Patriotic. Amy, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks, Tanya. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. You know, as long as we've been doing the show, we've talked to so many people who I term as a transition artist. You know, Ian and I are attorneys turned travel broadcasters, and your professional background extends from finance and education to international business and entertainment, and then the travel manager opportunity came about. How did this happen, and what prompted this change in career direction for you? Indeed. I don't know. Perhaps it's uh, me having the Peter Pan syndrome, where I don't intend to grow up, or I just don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> it's maybe a combination of things, but I think in today's society, one really needs to be adaptable and be able to, uh, you know, change in different environments and, you know, have broadened viewpoints and skill sets. So, um, you know, that kind of, um, you know, where where it is for me. As far as my alignment with the Miss America organization, it kind of came up through an unusual uh, channel. Um, I had heard about an opportunity that was just a run-of-the-mill type of position in, in Atlantic City at the time, and um, sent my credentials and didn't hear anything as sometimes that happened. And nearly a year later, a phone call came up at, you know, out of the blue, which I wasn't expecting. And it was the current tour manager saying that they had held my credentials on file for nearly a year and wanted to present an opportunity to me, unlike what I had thought I was aware of. And it was actually that person who could no longer handle the uh, capacity of the tour. It's very physically demanding and a grueling uh, situation. And it's really a lifestyle. It's it's not so much a job. Mm -hmm. uh, you do get paid. Um, however, it's not nine to five, and you know you don't go to an office and sit down and turn your computer on. Uh, it certainly is just a, a whole different vantage point. So she was unfolding this opportunity about taking over the tour. Uh, she had up off the tour because she physically couldn't handle it anymore. It was under doctor's orders not to continue. And uh, through that connection, it was an opportunity I felt I certainly couldn't refuse because you don't get too many of those calls. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you say actually that this job was was really life-changing for you. How, how was that? Absolutely. Well, as I was mentioning, it, it's not a job in the typical sense. You're not, you know, working certain uh, core hours and you're not at a desk. Essentially, uh, my profession and my office, so to speak, became a series of airports mm -hmm. and being on planes uh, to be the chaperone, boss, assistant, press secretary, uh, confidant, business developer to the current title holders. And I had an opportunity to work with a few, two of them actually, and so your life is not your own. It basically, you're placing your life on hold, as is the title holder. They're young women. Mm -hmm. the, the folks coming through the pageant system are between 17 and 24 years old, so a lot of them are small community hometown girls that may not have had a lot of travel experience or exposure to different communities and what the demands are of all the requirements to do all this travel. 
because um, basically every day to a few days uh, we were in a different city and you know your your life is dictated by itineraries and it was my job to manage that itinerary and make sure that everything was executed you know as smoothly as possible and seamlessly without getting the title holders worried or flustered or stressed so that they could do their best and mm -hmm. make their appearances and stand up for the um, the platform and the missions that they were representing of which they, they they do one on behalf of the organization they have their own that they you know go and do appearances on and then the other share of the events and appearances are driven by clients and sponsors that pay the right price to host them to come to just make an appearance so but uh, about 30% of the appearances were mission-based on the organization's current alignment with a, a charity mm -hmm. and then each individual title holder talking about their, their what they stand for, their platform, like Internet safety or non-smoking or uh, against drunk driving, you know, those right. type of things. Mm -hmm. Now, Amy, as uh, you were talking about uh, the travel pressures on these young women, many of whom come from smaller places and probably haven't had the kind of travel opportunities the uh, tour affords them, talk to us about some of those pressures and, and, and how some of the younger women deal with some of those challenges and how you help them through that. Sure. As one can probably make the general assumption, and this is just the reality of it, uh, many of the young ladies are home sick you know simple as that it's kind of like when somebody may go off to college mm -hmm. at a town um, you know it, they're looking at it with excitement and it's a new opportunity but you know the natural reaction is to fear the unexpected and that you don't know your surroundings and people are creatures of habit so homesickness was certainly prevalent so in in my role you know I had to be very compassionate and understanding sort of in a big sisterly almost motherly way without you know, but creating a delicate balance, not replacing anybody's parent or, you know, overstepping boundaries because it was still a professional work business relationship. But, you know, there were a number of times that there were, you know, had to be a shoulder to cry on and just talk them through, kind of give them pep rallies, you know, in a, in a pleasant way. Um, the positive thing and some other ways in which they were able to try and sustain the momentum and not be so... Uh, sad that they weren't home with their friends and family was the advent of different technology. Um, mm -hmm. When I was on tour, they weren't allowed to have um, any social networking pages. They were, you know, the organization mm -hmm. was concerned it would be a threat that there m might be bad publicity coming through it, and you know, people that are becoming friends that shouldn't be friends, you know, for the wrong reasons. So they weren't allowed to. They had to actually turn off or turn down the pages if they had any MySpaces or um, any social networking uh, sites. However, um, the young ladies were pretty adept at uh, instant messaging and emailing, and um, Twitter was not so much a, as, as prevalent as it is now. But, um, you know, my experience with the second title holder, she was really, really, it was such a commendable thing how almost every city she had like an extended network of friends generally through the pageant system that she knew from different experiences that she could just electronically contact and a lot of times those folks didn't want to pass up an opportunity to have lunch or dinner when she wasn't appearing with the you know current title holder with her you know who, who would who would want to pass up a situation like that so you know, I, I said to her, it's really, you know, impressive how she was able to keep in touch with so many people on tour that she knew, you know, over the course of rising through the ranks, through the system. And, you know, periodically she would get to see a friendly face, a familiar face on the road. Mm -hmm. Also, um, you know, her, her parents, she was really close-knit with her parents uh, in that instance, and they would drive out, mostly drive out to and show up a lot uh, unexpectedly on different sets <laughs> and uh, things like that, and that just helped her work through those challenges. 
Now, I'm just curious. I, I know that you know you mentioned the sponsors and and uh, and and appearances, required appearances uh, by the the title holder at some sponsors events, etc. But um, I know that there's a lot of domestic travel. Is there any international travel at all? Great question. Predominantly, I would say 90 some percent of the travel, maybe 96 percent, is domestic travel. And it's a great way to get exposure to, you know, a ton of the great facets of our own country. Mm-hmm. I had been a traveler prior to being in that position and taking on that endeavor, you know, some international travel and a bit of domestic travel. But this really afforded me the opportunity to see more places in the country that I hadn't necessarily seen. I've seen some, mm-hmm. so it was a great thing, renewing your sense of patriotism. Uh, yeah, the organization has had a long-standing relationship uh, with the USO, and through that relationship, they typically try to get the current title holder overseas okay. uh, in a, you know, in a, a non-combat zone. Um, a lot of the young ladies had gone to places like Kuwait, for example, and my predecessor was recounting that, um, you know, when she was on tour, she took a few folks to Kuwait, and how wonderful they treated them that it was like they were treated like royalty. They literally were rolling the red carpet out and were so hospitable, and it was such a nice, uh, enjoyable experience. Um, yet my mm-hmm. experience is the young women uh, opted not to go overseas. Um, both both the, the women that I worked with felt oh. that it was too much of a security risk and a security threat. Um, even though the opportunity was presented to them to go overseas, they they and their families opted for them not to. So we kept it domestic. Mm. But in, in some ways, I'm I'm, I'm saddened about that because uh, I, I think they they really missed a, a wonderful growth opportunity and 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 that's i guess how we ian and i view view travel as the growth and and transformative opportunities but with with the domestic travels that that the the girls the young ladies that you managed did they did they have uh any transformative experiences uh on on their you know during their domestic travels at all was there anything that was just really touching it's interesting that you pose it that way because in the story, Boardwalk and Disrepair, The Splintering of Miss Patriotic, it goes through um, the, the, the tour and it, take, it takes the readers to 14 different places. They're, they're domestic states and cities and so forth. And really the, uh, the main character is through the eyes of the tour manager and the tour manager encourages those uh, title holders to notice the bigger picture and, you know, such as going to New Orleans, and mm. there was a limousine driver that was so proud that people were coming back to his city, and it was post-Katrina, mm-hmm. and he was saying, when you go back home or when you get on the phone, call all your friends and family and tell them to come visit us and do business here. And he was so passionate about it, and, um, you know, it was a story that was schooled off a real situation, and... Oftentimes the reaction was, oh, I'm, I'm tired, you know, when can I check into the hotel? I just want to lay down and take a nap. Because, yes, they were busy, we were all busy with the demands of touring, um, but when you're in the moment, sometimes you take for granted the magnitude of what's going on around you. So in an encouraging way, uh, you know, the main character is, is saying, you know, if, if you do have a, a bit of downtime, you know, besides getting some rest for a few minutes, perhaps you want to take up the offer of this uh, driver who, on his, on his own time, he wants to take us around town and show us the devastation and show us the rebuilding and put things into perspective. It's, like, really important. It's almost like our civic duty mm-hmm. to see what's going on here, sure. you know, and see, you know, what ways we can make a difference at all. So there's stories like that about the tour manager encouraging the young woman to maybe open their eyes to it and, you know, grasp, seize the day, grasp the, the moment and the magnitude and things. So reluctantly, some of them said, you know, maybe, maybe we should. And so um, they, they did go around and went to the Ninth Ward in the 17th District and, you know, to see and, and walked around and, and saw how it was like a ghost town and mm. where the water levels were. You know, besides just staying in the plush boutique hotels and where life is good 
and you know life seems normal mm-hmm. putting things into perspective mm-hmm. um, and there was, there was a bunch of instances like that that are uh, woven through the story mm-hmm. and I think it was important because uh, sort of the unofficial hat of the tour manager was putting those things into perspective because perhaps when you're young and you don't you know you don't have that exposure and that experience you don't even you're, you don't even realize what's happening around you like going to the white house and meeting the president or having dinner with the first lady or uh, you know just witnessing going going there's a story about going to arlington cemetery mm-hmm. and the superintendent of the cemetery gave a personal guided tour of which the title holder was, you know, just going through the motions and yawning and, and things of that nature. But the tour manager asked, uh, what, what was your day like on September 11, 2001? What was your day like? And that opened a whole box, a treasure trove of history from a firsthand witness account of what happened as, you know, the airliner clipped buildings right. through Arlington Cemetery on its, uh, en route to the Pentagon. You know, amazing things that just the tour manager needed to just be cognizant of it mm-hmm. and do it in, in a subtle way, in earshot of the title holder, so she could hear, like, all these amazing things that are happening with these people that witnessed it, that are in the moment, that are experiencing it, and then you know, have a little discussion, like what it means, what the bigger picture is. Perhaps mm-hmm. you want to you know, jot it down for posterity and things like that. So what the what the tour manager was attempting to do is really just open open their eyes and just take in the magnitude of what was happening mm-hmm. besides just looking looking nice and speaking to the platforms and things like that. Like like really, um, you know, taking in everything around them as best they could. Amy, in our closing minutes here, I know that the book touches on 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 a lot of the things you just spoke of, but. You You've also got your kind of rules of the road to these so-called Amyisms that I think that's kind what of, I termed it, Amyism. <laughs> that that kind of get to the heart of some of the challenges, like clarifying the conflicts, discovering your own truths through the world's treasure, be famous, not infamous. In our closing minute, minutes, could you talk about some of those things and 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 just how you try to convey some of those life lessons to to the young women on the tour? Sure. Well. Ultimately, what the what the overall point of the novel is is that uh, people, no matter what industry you're in and what line of work you are, or if you're a travel enthusiast uh, or an adventurer, always be true to yourself. We have core values and what we stand for, you know, and our priorities. And the priorities obviously could shift over time in different circumstances. But at the end of the day, always remember to be true to yourself. Uh, you know, don't don't compromise your, your principles. And um, so that was the overall theme and through the different scenarios and the, the stories that are uh, explained and discussed uh, through the novel, uh, that's what it really means to the title holders. And it was certainly a self-discovery for, for the tour manager because, there was a lot of unspoken rules and responsibilities that unfolded along the way. Mm. Uh, but it was certainly an opportunity that um, was a great experience. If I had to do it all again, I, I definitely would. Um, you know, But it's also nice to have a, a more normal sense of living if, if there is one because you know, you're, you're uh, really living in a vacuum, having to live out of two suitcases. This was before all the <laughs> paying for extra luggage and all, but two suitcases for, you know, a few months of living, and your whole life was in those two suitcases, everything from different climates to casual to black tie, you know, having to be prepared for any, anything on a dime, having your non-perishable snacks because we never knew when we were going to eat next or drink mm-hmm. next, so we would bring uh, powdered flavored water and things like that, just always being prepared and being two steps ahead. So it gives you good life skills, survival skills, and you know, but the bottom line is be true to who you are and just be in the moment and be engaged and, and really uh, experience things. Take it in, drink it all in, and uh, remember it, relish in the moment. Yeah, and, 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 and not take it for granted. And honestly, Amy, as, as you know, you're talking, I was sitting here thinking, your book is a very good, even though it's fictional, um, it, it's a very good, uh, provides a very good lesson for parents who are considering uh, the pageant pageantry circuit and um, just the necessity I think in in allowing uh, these these young ladies to to experience the world and 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 recognize you know that we all share a common humanity and uh, and the world is very much worth exploring and uh, and the world is much larger than the the pageant 
stage bubble. And uh, and so I, I, I'm hoping and I'm encouraging any of our listeners who are in that, uh, you know, grooming their, their children to, to become uh, beauty queens um, to, to really pick up your book and and read through because there, even though it is fictional, there are some life lessons in there. And I thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, Amy Feller is uh, the former travel manager for the Miss America organization and the author of a new book, Boardwalk in Disrepair, The Splintering of Miss Patriotic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And the book is available at Comtech, C-O-M-T-E-Q, publishing.com for those that are interested. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Thanks. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, but as World Footprints. Until then, leave positive footprints and build a meaningful legacy one step at a time.